Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Today, we're delighted to be joined by David Palmer. As the chief product officer and co-founder of Vodafone's digital asset broker platform, David is a recognized thought leader in blockchain and enterprise-grade Web3 applications. Focusing on the convergence of digital technologies and new business models, David is currently exploring opportunities associated with IoT, blockchain, DeFi, digital identity, and the metaverse. So without further ado, David, welcome to the show. Nice to be here, guys. Finally, um, real pleasure to be on this platform uh, discussing uh, my favorite topic, uh, Web3, uh, with you uh, today. Um, really, really looking forward to this conversation and, uh, and, and learning as well. Thank you for being here, David. How are you doing today? Uh, okay. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, I'm, 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 I'm talking to you from Paddington, our HQ in Paddington, London. Um, weather is surprisingly wonderful for, for, for this time <laughs> of year. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and then there's just a the buzz in London. You can almost feel Web three and AI, and uh, you know, moving through the air. So yeah, L- L- London, London, London gives me energy. So I'm I'm feeling good. You are right there. It does feel like there's something about London where there's just all of these different disparate fields all kind of coalescing at the same time. And it's a very exciting time. I mean, your introduction, you've talked about so many different fields and the overlap between them. I am extremely excited to go a bit deeper into this. But before we get ahead of ourselves, David, could you just give us a little bit of an introduction to you know your early career and your background, please? Uh, yeah, so 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 th- those of you looking at me on the on the camera, I'm not that young, uh, so I've got quite a bit of background to to go through. Uh, but but my background has been in telecom, um, so 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 I have been involved uh, through my career uh, in um, you know broadband as we called it back then, so DSL uh, broadband, satellite broadband, uh, also fiber, uh, so uh, fiber to the premises. Um, satellite broadband, uh, internet of things or machine to machine. Um, but I also had always been looking for uh, technology and the latest technology. So as well as being a gamer, um, I started looking at Bitcoin, uh, you know, introduced by a friend uh, sort of 10 years ago or so, um, and, uh, you know, tried to, to mine, uh, mine Bitcoin. I think I managed to mine one, uh, which I still got. Um, and, and then, uh, and, and then became absolutely fascinated with Ethereum and smart contracts. Absolutely fascinated um, with uh, the possibility of having 
sort of this business logic and, and contracts automated um, and how this could could work with a sort of decentralized ledger and peer-to-peer and, and, and payments and the possibilities of this. And, um, and yeah, I, I started looking at um, the technology and, and started Googling, okay, well, you know, what's happening with blockchain and telco? And there's about four lines. There's about, about four <laughs> lines at, at the time. And I said, okay, could, you know, how could this work in my world? So, so what are the use cases where, you know, decentralized ledger blockchain could, could actually work for telco? And, you know, how, how more specifically could it work for IoT or machine to machine where I work? And that's where uh, the digital asset broker platform came from, uh, which was originally just looking at, okay, you know, how, if, if we had devices dynamically transacting with each other, um, how could we automate the contracting, the onboarding? How could you know two devices trust each other automatically? And uh, and and then we started looking at how they could transact, and then we started looking at uh, you know what role the SIM card could play in that. So could we link the SIM card to blockchain? Could we link the SIM card, blockchain, and the cryptography, i.e., the public-private keys that we have in the SIM card, uh, to to being able to sign on chain and trigger smart contracts? So. That's where it came from, and now I'm pleased to say that uh, yeah, we've graduated from uh, you know a pop um, you know and talking about use cases to actually having a live platform. Uh, so so the digital asset broker, which incorporates edge technology, SIM cards, devices with blockchain, is now live. Uh, it's not only live, uh, but it's a a subsidiary of Vodafone uh, on the digital asset broker and PayPoint. Um, and, and we have live customers uh, on there, and we are using Web3 and smart contracts. Uh, oh, brilliant. Edge devices. So, yeah, yeah. Really, really, really excited about that. Well, congratulations, because that's always, I feel like that's been a meme of blockchain for a long time, is that everything's a proof of concept phase and never gets yeah. to production, and you, you've successfully gone over that hurdle. And I definitely want to dig into the specifics of the digital asset broker platform. But, you know, I, I kind of want to bring it back for a moment. You talked about IoT already. And me and Alec have done, you know, our best to define IoT and, and what it is and why it's important. But it'd be nice to hear, you know, from yourself as an industry expert, what is IoT? What are what are these IoT devices? And why are we actually talking about them? Why is it such a buzzword? Like, what are, what are the applications of them? Yeah, so, so, so formerly known as machine to machine, um, the Internet of Things uh, is about devices being connected. And some of those devices you'd be surprised about. Um, you know, you have connected cars. So pretty much most cars now um, come connected, uh, and uh, you know, and uh, they come with um, with data, right? Uh, which can be uh, sent back to the auto manufacturers or can be linked to the customers. Uh, you have drones, uh, which are connected, I think, by law now. Um, you have connected cabinets. You have sensors. Uh, you have, um, you know, if you look at the consumer angle, you have wearables. Uh, mm. So I don't, I, I personally now don't leave home without my, my, my watch, right? My connected uh, watch because, uh, yeah, I don't exist, right? So yeah, I want to know how many steps I've done, how my heart was performing, uh, you know, the calories I've lost. And that is a wearable and that is a thing. Um, so you have a lot of things um, which are connected. And I suppose the internet of things is about how those things which are connected can come together to form perform common pools of data, how they can be findable, how the data can be used, um, and, and, uh, and, and the economy of things, which is where the digital asset broker uh, sits, is about how you can monetize them, 
how can uh, you know devices? How can my watch data uh, be sold to a drone? How can a drone sell sell uh, data to a car? Um, and and uh, you know you sort of go in this circle of uh, of economy and transactions, which is um, you know connected by the Internet of Things, but um, is monetized by the economy of things. And, so, uh, uh, and, uh, please go ahead, you, Alex. You've um, you've you've introduced so many different angles there. I think when people think of IoT, the numbers that are related to IoT devices is huge, right? I think it was previously estimated to be 30 billion active IoT devices by 2030. That's been brought forward significantly to 2025. I think we actually might hear it in the next two years is now is what they're saying. And you've given a couple of like futuristic examples, the idea of drones and, you know, paying for data from drones, all this kind of stuff. My background is actually in drone tech, so I'm very, very into that. Um, oh. Before we, yeah, I know there's a lot of things we could talk about, even the gaming, some of an avid gamer. I was going to nerd but, out now. And, uh, before we nerd out, Dave, before we nerd out, like before we get to the solution as well, what are some of the issues that are facing the IoT industry right now? I think it's monetization. Um, so, so, so there has been a lot of investment in IoT um, and a lot, of, um, a lot of effort in connecting devices, um, but not a lot of results in terms of business benefit or, or monetary benefit because 75% of the data collected isn't used. So there's a lot of money connecting the device and storing the data, but it's not used. And part of the reason it's not used, I think, is twofold. One of, one of the reasons is that a lot of the data has a value near real time. Right? So, 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 so if my location uh, is important to um, you know, where you know, a retail outlet wants to uh, position a discount or uh, whatever, then that, that's near real time information, which, which, which has a value near real time, but doesn't have a value post near real time. Um, I think the other uh, reason is that the IoT siloed. So the business model is that if I own a device, then that device will send data to me. And if I can use it fine in my business model, but if I can't, uh, then, 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 then it's just stored. Uh, but you yeah. could use it, Alec, or you could use it, Jack. But 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 we don't trust each other. Our devices don't trust each other, and there's no dynamic where um, where they can find each other and transact that data or or, or a service near real time. And uh, and and that is a I think a big problem for monetizing um, the Internet of Things. I think some of the other um, challenges are what type of connectivity you have. So obviously we provide cellular. Uh, connectivity, but you've got um, you know you've got uh, other other ways that devices can be uh, connected, and then you've got standards which are associated with that. Uh, so, 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 so those are some of the challenges uh, you have, as well as the sheer amount of data. So I think um, I, I think uh, you know ninety percent of the data has been created in the last five years or, or so, um, and the Internet of Things is only adding adding to that. There's more and more devices. Um, I always use the the, the 70 billion uh, by 2025. I don't know if it will be 70 billion, but then in the next five to 10 years, we're likely to hit the 70 billion mark, which means mm -hmm. we have you know 10 times the amount of devices as humans, and and yeah. the sort of estimates that that we will have many devices um, coming. I think a lot of us will start to have uh, uh, AR or, or MR mixed reality headsets now, which will be another device on top of our AirPods. <laughs> top of our phone and our iPods and our wearables. Um, 
and 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 the, and the key and well, sorry, the challenge has been how do you make that interoperable? How do you make these devices speak to each other and speak to other devices? And then the the, the second thing is how do you monetize it? Um, yeah, and investment needs returns, and I don't think we've seen the returns so far. I, I like that. I mean, when we did our episode on IoT, which again was very surface level, we spoke mostly about the sheer amount of data. I think the number is 175 zettabytes. I don't even know what a zettabyte is, but it sounds huge, <laughs> right? And we talked about the interoperability and like how to communicate peer-to-peer and all this kind of stuff. But a big thing that we didn't talk about that I actually is so obvious now you say it, is real-time data, how important it has, is to have the data real-time. So that's another challenge that me and Jack didn't even consider what we talked about this previously. So now you've kind of highlighted all the problems. How does blockchain and Web3, how does it help? Um, well, I think the block, blockchain and Web3 um, helps in, in a number of ways. Uh, I, I can speak from the digital asset broker angle. So we, we looked at it very simply. On the Vodafone platform, IoT platform, we, we, we currently have uh, 160 million connected devices. Uh, so these are customers that have our connected sim on our IoT platform. And, and we were simply looking at, okay, if we put all of those devices on a blockchain, and if the owners of those devices, the big customers, hosted nodes on, on, on our permission chain, so we started with permission chain, uh, then could we issue an identity standard, uh, you know, and attributes uh, or, or credentials within those identities that would allow these devices to trust each other? And, and if one of the credentials was a payment credential, which, which, which linked to smart contracts, in some circumstances or, you know, where the preconditions and parameters were known, could we have automated transactions? Right. And, and, and so, so, so the blockchain is providing um, the ecosystem, it's connecting that ecosystem, and it's providing um, the trust and the, and, and the link to automated smart contracts to, 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 to have that. Uh, so, so that's where Web3 is helping. Obviously, we started off looking at token. Uh, so IoT, you know, where you're looking at a high volume of transactions, uh, very low value. So it could be... You know, Byte of data which we, we, we which are selling which is very low value and obviously the 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 original intention was to use uh, peer-to-peer transactions and tokens to do that because we thought at the time there would be a lower transaction cost and then uh, ethereum the price of ethereum went up with the other tokens and the gas fees went up and uh, this was before you had the layer twos really doing the job and and uh, yeah the 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 micro transactions disappeared and we started to, to 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 look at ways of doing it with uh, with with real currencies and real payments and post pay settlements. But um, that that's what we were looking at. Now there's another dynamic that's entered, and I'm I'm sure you're going to quiz me on this. But it's AI, and, and the story of 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 the year so far has been OpenAI and ChatGPT, um, and where that's gone, and it's developing really quickly. But it's got a great use case, and um, yeah, there's a headline I think over the last few weeks that uh, ChatGPT, yeah, which used to be uh, dependent, uh, limited to 2021 data or two-year-old data, has suddenly learned to surf the internet and, and it can now pull in uh, real data. Uh, but I think what it's done is it's got people very hungry for data. And if you look at what the Internet of Things does, it's all about data, right? It's all data from billions of devices. Uh, so part of the other dynamic that we're looking at now is how do you connect the data from billions of devices with 
large language models that feed AI. Okay, that's a, that's a fascinating problem, and it's something very interesting to work on. I think, right? Yeah, and how do you trust that data? So, how do you trust? Yeah. How can you trace um, the data you're getting to a device? How can you authenticate the owner? How can you authenticate the data? And, and if it's authenticated, how do you turn that into a credential? And that's where Web three comes in as the bridge and the trust between the data being generated uh, and the AI that's going to use it and providing traceability. So there's, there's some dynamics there where you've got uh, IoT, Web3, and AI working together in an end-to-end model. That is, that is super fascinating. There's so many things I want to dig into. I don't know what to ask first. Um, maybe one thing would be, because I, I, I heard you kind of mention it, and I want to just you know pique my interest. You, I think you mentioned you started on a private chain, right? And this is something I've seen. I've seen this pattern with enterprise adoption of, of blockchain and Web3 over time. They, they tend to have to start with private. I just wanted to ask you about that, that process, right? And, and how, what was the decision to, to start with private? Why did you move to public? And what was the value proposition there? Because I'm sure, I'm sure you'll provide some insight, right? Having gone through this process yourself. Um, yeah, so, 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 so we started five years ago. Uh, so the digital asset broker started with that use case of, um, you know, how can we not take six months to onboard, you know, a, a vendor that one of our devices are going to do business with. Um, and it started there and we started, you know, we programmed it uh, for parking in Canada. It's been on a long journey, but back five years ago, um, people didn't trust public blockchain, right? So there was yeah. uh, a lot of issues uh, with privacy. Uh, there was a lot of issues about the, you know, these fake news things about the energy being used and, uh, and, and transparency and, uh, you know, and security. Um, so the only way we could start, you know, to even look at this was to go on a permission chain. Um, so, so, the, so, the, so that was a lot of the thinking behind making it permission. And, and it wasn't just us, it was our customers, right? That, 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 that's what they wanted. And we also had the uncertainty in, in terms of the gas fee. Um, <laughs> Which, which made uh, public blockchains uh, at, at, at the time, you know, not enterprise grade. Um, and, and, and there was also, um, you know, with public blockchains, a lot of issues around, um, you know, the, the, the energy side and, the, you know, and the security and the amount of public blockchains and the transactions per second, and, and they couldn't uh, integrate with legacy, et cetera. Now, obviously things have changed a lot. Um, and now you're having the very real situation where, um, you know, I, I, I believe thoroughly that everything will move to public chains, just like internet and internet, I believe it will move there. Mm -hmm. But the halfway house is where you have, like we do, a permission chain, uh, which you know, provides some security and provides some control points, but where we can link that to EVM chains or public chains. Uh, and then you have the idea of public chains which can have permissioned um, uh, layers within it. Uh, you know, for, so you've got public permission and permission public. And I, I believe that's a halfway house. I believe we will move to public chain. I, I believe that they will become infrastructure just like electricity, uh, connectivity, uh, and, and other forms of infrastructure. I believe that blockchain will become infrastructure. I, I believe there'll be a lot of convergence, but we're not quite there yet. And I, and I don't believe that we would have gotten as far as we have in terms of going live, had we gone straight to public. But um, as you can see with the Ethereum merge, I, I think it's EIP 1559, 
um, and, and some of the other development. Uh, the public chains are, are really moving forward. I think uh, with layer two's optimistic rollout, ZK, uh, you know, zero knowledge proofs, um, you know, so some of the things that are happening there uh, that we're starting to see a lot more efficiency um, and I, 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 going forward. So, so I believe that we will end up on public chains and I believe it will be infrastructure just like the mobile network is an infrastructure, but we're just not there yet. So we've got to go on the journey. This um this resonates with me and Jackie. You can see we're nodding along quite a lot because <laughs> we completely agree. We imagine like you know blockchain in this future final implementation will be a protocol or the piping that allows a lot of these things that we're talking about. And for that to happen, it's got to be open, right? Um, so this yeah the digital asset broker you've kind of touched on it a little bit. I just want to go a bit deeper. So the the premise of it early doors was effectively to kind of get high quality data from IoT devices and be able to sell that. And obviously we had issues around transaction fees. So we're now trying to sell that based on fiat currency. Can you give, you know, this has moved from POC to product now with paying customers, I assume. Could you tell, what are they paying for? What is it, the solution? How do you sell this to people? What is it doing right now? Um, so, so, so very, very good question. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it, you know, it started with data and services. Um, and, and it's about, you know, we had this dream of being the Google of devices. Uh, so not only could devices become searchable, uh, but dynamically, um, you know, uh, autonomously, the devices could transact with each other and or with services um, as well. Now, obviously, there are some challenges. Uh, so some of the ch challenges are around the intelligence of devices or the processing power of devices. Some of the challenges are with the maturity of the uh, business areas, business sectors that the devices operate in. Um, so, so uh, and, and the other one is just availability of devices. So, mm. Vodafone currently have uh, 40 million SIMs in cars. Uh, uh, so, so, seven out of 10 of, of the SIMs that are, are actually shipped in cars, and I think 70% of the data is actually trans transacted over wow. our network. So, opportunistically, um, you know, given the car fact that cars have these embedded SIMs, the majority of them are Vodafone, um, and the cars are very intelligent, meaning that there's a lot of processing power in there. You made a lot of sense to, to start with with automotive use cases. Um, on top of that, if you look at um, the automotive sectors, one of the the biggest challenges that they're going through uh, is electronic vehicle charging, the shift to EV charging. Whereby 2030, I think it's now 2035. It sure will move to 2040. Uh, a lot of the uh, manufacturers will will not be uh, will will not be making ice fuel cars anymore, and everything will be ele electric. Let's let's see how it plays out. But there's a a massive transition there. And we saw an immediate uh, use for the digital asset broker, because remember the digital asset broker is a platform stroke protocol, uh, which is about the device to device, right? Device to device communication, device to device trust, device to device transactions. So then we're saying, okay, well, we've got connected cards, which mm. we can enable with DAB. And we've also got a lot of the charges, which we can enable with DAB. So we've got DAB cars and DAB chargers, uh, and they're both DAB enabled. Can we have automatic transactions from from cars to charging stations using DAB? Um, and uh, so that was the use case that that we looked at and we started with, which is like so. Mm. So you can go and download our our DAB EV app, um, and you can you know, you, for, if you're a fleet, you can uh, you know, you can provide a. You, you can get a DAB identity for your fleet vehicle. Uh, you can associate multiple drivers 
uh, to that vehicle. You can associate multiple drivers to use the one payment credential in that vehicle. Uh, and you can have a peer-to-peer a, a -peer or a direct settlement over payment rail transactions between the car, which has an identity and a payment credential, and the charger. So that, that's something we've looked at. We've extended that to parking and tolls and other uh, subscriptions and other, uh, other in-car payment uh, solutions. Uh, we're also looking at supply chains, so that's another use case where blockchain clearly has a role, um, but, but also where IoT has a role. And uh, we're also looking at healthcare um, and, and, and sort of other areas, but we, we are live now, um, you know, in production uh, with uh, the in-car payments uh, and, and EV charging. I like that. I mean, my background is kind of like autonomous vehicles. And I was talking about this a few years ago. It's like in a world in which we have autonomous vehicles, in the future, people aren't going to own cars. There's going to be no, like kind of these autonomous taxi services. And to have an autonomous taxi service, you probably want an autonomous charging station as well. So I, I see the application. Like I was thinking about this a couple of years ago. I was like, this this makes so much sense to me. And um, one of the questions I've got a kind of product background is, you know, whenever you design a product like this, like where is the data being held? So that you're talking, say, in these autonomous cars, just to say Tesla, for example, say it's a Tesla vehicle, a user of the vehicle, and then you've also got Vodafone. Who owns the data in that instance? That must be quite complicated yeah. around so, here. So, GDPR, so, that's yeah. the buzzword, right? Yeah, so, so Alec, you know that's a loaded question, right? Because uh, <laughs> if I, if I, no, that's a loaded question. So, so if I say that DAB owns the data, then we're a Web2 platform. Uh, if, if I say that we don't own the data, then uh, then, then who owns it? Uh, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is that the digital asset broker is a is a broker. Um, okay. So, so what we what we and I think one of the killer ac uh, applications of uh, of Web three is digital identity or self sovereign mm -hmm. digital identity and verifiable credentials, yep. and that's what we apply to devices. So in this case, who owns the data? Very complicated. Uh, but but what we are doing is um, you know for stakeholders in the data. Uh, we are developing smart contracts, uh, and when we are developing, um, you know, the ability for owners of the data to agree to smart contracts, to, to agree splits of the data, and to um, and to agree for that data to be used uh, dynamically. So, so in that case, we we don't actually hold the data. Uh, what what we are, what we, we what, but we will broker the data. Uh, but what we are looking at going forward is obviously developing. Uh, learning language model for, for, for DAB where the owners of the data can opt in for that data to be part of the large language model and they can share in the profits uh, from that. I like that. So, so I, think that's where, I think that's where we're going to go. But at the moment, we just broker the data. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, yeah, so we, so we are more Web3 alike, right? So in that sense. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you describe it and characterize it as a broker, right? Because you know, this reflects, I think, I don't want to speak for Alec, but what, what, what our, our view on Web3 is not that we should, you know, go throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We don't necessarily think Web3 is about replacing all intermediaries. It's just about, you know, in, in where you can, replacing inefficient ones, things that don't need to be there, especially in payments. But I think there's definitely a case to be made for new types of third parties, right? Because we, we've talked a lot about this whole concept of data sovereignty, and we talk quite disparagingly of, of data brokers in web two because data brokers are typically kind of um shady you know um, underhanded ways of selling your data without your consent whereas it sounds much more like what you're doing is a more transparent much more equitable model because there is a market for this data there is also therefore a market for brokers of it but it's as you said it's the opt-in aspect that 
mm. really differentiates you, right? And means it's a transparent model, I think. Is, is that fair? I know, I, I think that's spot on. Uh, remember, 75% of the data is not used. Uh, it's not being monetized. Yeah. It, it is a currency. Uh, it can be used definitely near real time. There's a massive market for, for data from billions of devices to feed into large language models. Uh, but but it's about getting agreement. It's, right? it's, it's about, you know, number one, providing the opportunity and then getting consent, consent being the key thing. So self-sovereign uh, identity, self-sovereign model, um, making data a credential and giving people the chance to opt into the smart contract and monetize it. And I think that's impossible. Okay. Uh, that, that's important. Um, I think the problem at the moment is that, you know, everybody in the Web2 world wants to own the data and, uh, okay. and they can't, right? Because some of the data belongs to the driver in this case, in the EV charging, some will belong to us. Some will belong to the uh, car manufacturer, but remember the manufacturer is not the driver. They may not be the owner, right? So there's so many parties there. You know, the way forward is to get consent, right? And, and to provide incentives through monetization. No, I, I love that. And it's also quite important to remember that different people, different actors might want different parts of the data. And we tend to think of data as a whole. And when you sort of talk about identity, like a big into self-sovereign identity, we've done episodes on it. There's ways to selectively disclose the relevant information to certain parties, depending on what's relevant to them. And the privacy, preservation, security of that is so important. So I, I really love it. And obviously, yeah, I picked up on the word data broker, but I'm glad you answered in that way because I'm completely <laughs> on board. I love this so yeah. much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, this is the you're almost like making a new market right you're providing this service of bringing together devices connected devices to, for people to monetize them and kind of on that point one thing i wanted to dig into you've already mentioned this term machine to machine payments right and it's something that i think jack alec and i have bandied around a little bit as well but i'm i'm curious to know how they work and also what is the interface with the humans as well right because it's not like a machine necessarily has its own wallet autonomously to start with you have, someone has to give it some money so where do the humans fit into the machine to machine payments piece and why why would someone set something up right like who who stands to benefit in one of these interactions if you have a good example yeah so so, so great questions um so, so i think the first the first thing is that we you know we major in providing machine or device identity right interoperable device identity passport but of course, the device can't exist autonomously. It must be owned by a person or an organization, right? Um, so, 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 so first of all, the person or the organization must register the device on the platform. That, that, that's the key thing. And, and it must be a delegated identity of a person or, or an organization. Uh, in terms of how um, you set the parameters, obviously, there's smart contracts which relate to certain use cases like charging or supply chain or energy or smart meters. Um, and then you link to a payment credential, right? So you have uh, you have tariffs, you have uh, payment credentials, which are part of the identity, uh, and you have limits, right, which are, are in the smart contract. But uh, and then you have triggers, uh, which are you know, for example, the car goes to a charger, or the drone gets to the the, the sort of delivery point, and then you have uh, a trigger, and that's the power of IoT and 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 sort of Web three and smart contracts is that IoT can provide the trigger, and then Web three can provide the authentication of the identity and the and the uh, payments. In in terms of payments, so 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 our technology does does provide an identity. It does provide a wallet app or the ability to have a wallet app which is linked to a secure element in the SIM card, 
which is linked to public-private keys, which we can generate in the SIM card, or we have something called SIM trust, which is a symmetric key that, that, that can be generated in the SIM card, which links to public-private key, key pairs, which are on-chain. Um, in terms of the wallet, we are looking, or we have implemented Wallet Connect. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Wallet Connect and the ability to 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 um, to, to link to different wallets, um, you know, with one wallet. So we call it the wallet of wallets. Uh, I am very, very, very excited about account abstraction. I can tell you all the smart. The, 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 I think account abstraction is another la la layer that, that that can potentially bridge. It can make the user experience better, but I think it's also the key to bridge between token payment and uh, real-world payment. David, can um, you explain what that is, that concept? Because I think that's one we haven't actually covered on the podcast before, and I think mm -hmm. it'd be good to get your take on it. Yeah, so you have externally owned accounts, right? And then you have, uh, you know, and, and uh, account abstraction is basically allowing you to have accounts that can be related on-chain with uh, accounts that are not on-chain. They can take the the ownership of accounts uh, uh, rather than being limited on chain to be limited to 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 to, to um, not be not not be restricted to being on chain. So so that that is where account abstraction comes in, and and from a user experience, it just means that you have so much more that you can play with, and there's so much more um, integration you can do with conventional applications or conventional accounts or conventional. Um, uh, conventional payment means, and it means that you can start to merge these two worlds together of blockchain-based accounts and fiat-based or traditional banking accounts, um, and, and uh, you, you you can play with the uh, with the integration a lot more, but also you can have more interoperability. So, so I think uh, Vitalik spoke on this uh, a lot. It, it is it, the potential is really big. I think we're only beginning to take the first steps to it. Where I think it will go. Uh, is uh, I have this this I said this years ago that we're moving to world, what's the world of wallets. So so no longer will our accounts be uh, our bank accounts be that relevant and store codes. Uh, no longer will our credit card accounts be relevant. But 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 uh, and no longer will our driver's license be that relevant. What will happen is you will have an identity, or you have an identity wallet, and in that wallet will will be all of your credentials your driving credentials, your travel credential, uh, your payment credentials, and uh, and basically you'll move towards a world, especially where you get into the metaverse and we get more dynamic and we get more real time, uh, where you know you will be asked you know, you, you, to authenticate your age, in which case you have an issued credential, well, you know this, and, and uh, you, know, you can say, okay, Jack's uh, over 18 or David's over whatever you know yeah does jack have the ability <laughs> yeah does jack have the ability to does he have a travel credential which allows him to enter the u.s does he have this mm -hmm. and you move into this new automated world um mm -hmm. and and you move to to wallets i believe the account abstraction is the beginning of that i i think it's the beginning of a move to the world of wallets but those wallets in the beginning we thought those wallets would be crypto wallets and they would only be mm -hmm. used on chain now we're realizing that those wallets need to interact and interoperate uh, with uh, uh, the 4.5 billion digital wallets that we have in the real world, right? They need to work with Apple Pay and Google Pay mm. and other types of wallets. And I, th I think ab account abstraction is the beginning of being able to have that match. And that is where you get the big boom, because essentially what it does, it will make 
crypto and tokens more accessible to real world, real world transactions, but it will also uh, uh, make real world payments uh, yeah, more accessible to crypto and blockchain users. And that is where yeah. you start getting into mass adoption. Yeah, I mean, the idea of having like credentials separated and siloed across the board, you know, the best kind of use case of this for everyday users is going to the airport. Like the idea of having my COVID passport here, my visa here, like my travel documents here, it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. How many different checks do I need to do? Right. Everything should be on one wallet, like you say. And I really love that use case. And you kind of see how that extends to IoT devices in a way as well. And I, I really like that. One of the, the things passport or the pub, Alec? <laughs> one of the um, the things that you mentioned there david was around the integration with traditional systems and, and interoperability and a big thing i think especially for for you know web3 philosophies and companies based on web3 is how they kind of go to established companies and established systems and obviously you're part of a big established established company i want to know what your experience has been exploring web3 as part of that uh yeah i i think this is um like a key point so 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 a lot of the web3 at the moment um i think there's two types of web3 so there's the self-sufficient web3 so these are the sort of layer one layer two protocols DeFi, uh, nfts where yeah you're creating your own business in web3 right? mm. and you're not you you in fact you're you're probably against enterprises and big systems they represent everything you're against and then you've got the other side of Web3, which is looking at how it can be implemented in big business. And the two don't necessarily go together because there is a school which wants to replace big business and what they do with, 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 with decentralized methods. And then you've got some which are looking at how you can make the bridge. Um, I, I think we're getting closer to a sort of middle ground um, where, um, I mean, even if you look at T5 2.0, it's looking at how T5 can work with some of the established TradFi companies. Um, if you look at uh, identity now, you've got EIDA, the European guys coming with the identity wallet on one side, you've got self-sovereign identity from mm -hmm. from Web3, and you've got tokens now uh, and, and real real world tokenization, which is uh, asset tokenization, which is being pushed by banks. Interestingly, you've got CBDCs, you've got uh, more recently, we work with uh, companies on tokenized deposits which is where you can tokenize currency in your bank account and, and, and then exchange that for uh, on-chain tokens like Ethereum or, or whatever. Um, so I think you're starting to meet them. Um, there, there has been a lot of suspicion. Uh, I think there's been a big mistake on the Web3 side uh, in that the, the approach, you, know, you had an idealistic approach, which is that we're going to get rid of all intermediaries. Everything will be decentralized. And even in that world, when you actually get down to it, yeah, even the most decentralized platform ends up going to a centralized middle. Right, it's still there, right? Very, very little pure decentralized. Like your um, Infura, for example, in Ethereum, right? Exactly. Um, and yeah, so, so you've got that. And I think the mistake they made was that when they designed the app, it's like, okay, you're gonna, everyone's gonna come and get an Ethereum wallet, or everyone's gonna come and get a blockchain wallet, and you're all gonna buy our tokens, and that's how it's gonna work, right? And they didn't really think about as a service, uh, you know, trust as a service or blockchain as a service or tokens as a service, you know, which can integrate with, with the established. It was, it was more about everybody's going to come to us. And I think that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. and I think that's reflected in the fact that you only have 300 and 
just over 300,000 crypto wallets in operation. Mm. Uh, despite all the brilliant things we've done with NFTs and DeFi and, and asset tokenization. Uh, and then on the other hand, you've got the established world, which are fearful of this. And they're, and they're never going to give up all their EIP system, ERP systems and, and take that approach, right? Because they, 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 they lose some control. Um, I think some of the things I'm seeing now is as a service. So, so a lot of people are looking at trust as a service or NFTs as a service or whatever way it can be built into existing business models. I think that, that that's helpful. Um, but I also don't want Web3 to lose that 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 revolutionary aspect where it's challenging how finance is done, it's challenging how identity is done, it's challenging how how tokens are done, it's challenging how money's being raised, because that has really helped to get us where we are. So I'm kind of torn between the two. On the one hand, I you know, I, I believe that Web3 should make itself more integratable with uh with, with established business and I think that is happening. Um but on the other hand I do I, really respect and i'm excited about the revolutionary aspect of web3 and i think it's shown us i mean who would have thought that an organization could be run by and governed by a smart contract the dow who, who would have thought that who would have thought that finance could be completely automated with smart contracts mm-hmm. who would have thought that so so some of the things that the web3 has done is, is absolutely remarkable and I, I think it's only the beginning um, but we do need to see more of the middle ground where we bring the established into Web3 and vice versa. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I think the term that I'm seeing more and more is Web 2.5. And I have the yeah. exact same mindset as you, of you. It's like we need to bring these big enterprises on a journey, right? And the journey is not change everything, all of a sudden drop what you're doing and move to this Web3, this revolutionary, because they're all obviously so risk averse. No one wants to do that. But more and more you're seeing people, I mean, it's like the, the user experience, right? Like I talk about ChatGPT all the time, but ChatGPT, the technology wasn't that crazy. Like it was the user experience that really nailed it. People could yeah. easily adopt it and see the value straight away. And I think the idea of this Web 2.5 that takes people on a journey and shows efficiencies and shows tangible benefits real time without changing too much is the best way to get there. As long as, like you said, we don't lose sight of the end goal, which is this maybe Web 3 paradigm that a lot of, and that doesn't mean anarchism. There's always going to be trusted authorities mm-hmm. that have to you know, manage and set up the protocols peer to peer, but it, it does mean efficiency. I'm really excited for that. No, I agree yeah. totally. I agree totally. And I, I think it's funny because, you know, you, you, you mentioned like the, the, the kind of grassroots crypto Web3 people. I think Web2.5 is still something that is anathema to them. But I think a, a lot of people, you know, as you say, rightly say, there's a mistake being made in this assumption that enterprise adoption is bad. You know, a lot of the people who just think Bitcoin hodl to the moon, etc. I think they, they miss the point that the more enterprise adoption you have of the underlying, as you call it, the self-sufficient. Uh, Web3, which I really like as a term, I've not heard that one before. The more enterprise adoption of that you get, the more valuable the underlying chain should be in theory, right? The more it anchors in the real world, that should should indirectly uh, have a consequence on them. That should secure the network, it should attract more miners, it should attract more capital to securing the network. So I think they're really missing that point, right? I I think it's, yeah, I think that was the, that's the biggest shortcoming we've got so far, but there's been so much positive. Um, yeah, and I think we're just starting to see the, the beginning of it. Um, I, I was having some conversations earlier today and, and they were saying, well, how do you see, you know, Web3 working with uh, IoT and, uh, and uh, AI and 
metaverse and all of these things. And I said, well, what's actually happening if we take a step back is we're, we're actually seeing the emergence of a new infrastructure. You know, infrastructure exactly. used to be electricity uh, and, and hard phone lines. And then, you know, we start to see infrastructure as uh, fiber, you know, carrying data. And then we start seeing infrastructure as the uh, mobile or cellular network. And, and actually that, that, that's fine, but now there's a new type of infrastructure coming and that new type of infrastructure will be blockchain mm. uh, layer ones, which will start moving with mobile and it will start becoming part of the core infrastructure, um, you know, that, 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 that can be used by businesses and people. Uh, and then the metaverse, um, you know, becomes in my view, an operating system, uh, that, 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 that allows applications to build on that, uh, on, on that infrastructure. And um, I think that's where we're going, right? We've got a new infrastructure uh, and these uh, layer one protocols and layer two protocols will, will be part of that infrastructure uh, going forward. Uh, so I see that as very um, exciting. Um, and and, and, and I, I, I believe we're seeing the evolution. I, I keep on saying, you know, I was on, I was sort of posting this week. Um, you know, we can look back on, on this day in 2023 uh, that the last 25 years um, have been maybe the most technologically um, advanced or technology, it's been the biggest technological change in the last 25 years. Um, you know, we've seen cloud, we've seen web three, we've seen web two, we've seen, uh, you know, so many technologies, mobile, um, you know, edge compute. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm missing some big ones, but we've seen some massive yeah. uh, technologies. We've seen some massive changes in the way we do things. I mean, who would have thought 20 years ago that you could bank on your app, buy cars on your app, travel on your app, do everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's an app for everything you, that you do. That's a massive revolution. If you showed that to your grandfather or your great-grandfather, they, they would think we're crazy, right? Yeah. And that's been a massive revolution. But I think it's only the beginning because now you start adding blockchain, you start adding a new dynamic of interoperability. When you start adding AI, you start adding a new um, dynamic of intelligence. Uh, which is 24-7, and you start adding metaverse, you start a new, adding a new dimension of experience, all part of the infrastructure. And you're, 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 you're saying to yourself, okay, where is this going to go? Um, you know, what, what is the next layer of, uh, you know, of, of change? And I believe that that, that next layer of change uh, is going to be um, AI and the metaverse, uh, you know, uh, brought together by Web3. And I believe... Honestly, that um, that the metaverse, you know, very negative headlines this year. It was top of the hype cycle 18 months ago. Now it's the bottom of the hype cycle. But it's not going anywhere because essentially the, 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 the metaverse, in my view, will become the new web, web browser. It's going to become the new uh, interaction point for human uh, businesses to interact with, uh, with content and AI. And I believe that, uh, that the metaverse will also be AI on Earth. Uh, so uh, when you think about AI replacing millions of jobs or becoming the new tool for millions of people, um, they need an interaction point. They need a, a means to, to, to interact with AI. A AI needs a body. It needs uh, an environment. And that's where the metaverse comes in. But we also need to trust the data. We need to trust the, the, the AI actors in, in, in our universe. We need to... Yeah, the deep bait, the chance for deep bait becomes uh, a lot higher and mm. security becomes more important and it needs to be dynamic and, and we need trust and that's where blockchain comes in. Uh, and we also need a currency 
um, you know, that can go across boundaries. And I believe that's where blockchain comes in. So it's an exciting new world we're heading into. I, I believe the digital asset broker brings the machine part um, to that. It, it brings the machines uh, that generate data uh, and combine sell services to this new dynamic. Um, and I believe, uh, you know, the, the digital asset broker will, you know, it, it, it provides identities and security for devices but I also uh, would like to extend that to AI going forward as well. When you um, when you told me you were a gamer and you started talking about metaverse and AI, I thought you were going to be talking about fully immersive NPCs, you know, custom dialogue, all this kind of stuff. But no, um, I, as my question was actually going to be, so what are you most excited for in the future with all of these things coalescing? Is there one use case that you're like, wow, that is going to be killer? Ah. That's a, that's a really good question. So, so, so I think I think my excitement relates to my frustration. I think we touched on it earlier. I see a world where you've got two two streams. I, I, I think this is played out even when you watch the news. You've got the stream of of sort of digital native people uh, who who believe you can do everything with your mobile phone. We don't print. Yeah, uh, you know, we don't write paper documents. Uh, we believe that everything can be done digitally, and we're actually right because when you look at it, everything is done digitally, there's some code behind everything we do. Uh, but we also coexist with this Victorian age paper system where somehow you still need to show a document to rent a car, you still need to show yeah. a paper uh, dry, uh, passport to get through border control, you still need to have a copy of a paper utility bill uh, to get finance and, and all the rest. And you're thinking, well, this doesn't make sense because behind all of those paper documents is a digital you know, a digital system which which needs yeah. to be informed, and and and, and I, I, what I'm most excited about is eliminating the paper, eliminating the document, uh, eliminating the the remnants or the leftovers of the file based document system, and going to a truly the digital world, uh, where essentially I can uh, move seamlessly uh, between physical environments. Uh, you know, with just my identity and, and having that authenticated automatically, but it, also digitally. You know, I can go across platforms without passwords or without passwords uh, because my digital identity yeah, and my credentials are issued and they can be verified automatically. And I believe when we move to that, that is going to be the single most transformative technology we have. Decentralized digital identity and verifiable credentials because it will change it will change the world from a trustless world where everything is about proving who you are proving where you are proving how much money you've got proving you you haven't defaulted on payments proving that you've got a, a travel credential proving you've got a driving credential to actually processes where actually it's not a trustless world but it's a trusted world because i can trust the uh, verify your credentials easier I don't have all these people checking stuff, right? All of that's done automatically uh, with the identity protocol. And, and, and that will then give rise to a completely new experience, which is fit for the digital world and fit for the metaverse and, and fit for me to be able to go from a, a gaming platform uh, to a social media platform, carrying my identity, carrying my credentials, uh, carrying my digital, uh, my, my, my digital assets, uh, and being able to have consistency uh, in my identity and, and, and portability of those efforts across all of them. Yeah. That, 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 that excites me. 
Yeah, that's really interesting you say it and you pitch it like that, right? Because we've been talking about IoT and machine to machine the whole time, but what you're describing there is a fundamentally human problem that you're you're looking to solve with this, right? And I, I completely agree, and I'm sure Alex does as well, because we talked at length about digital ID on the show. We see that as, you know, very much also infrastructure fundamental to the future digital economy, right? And then after that, once we've got that, because I can see why that's the, what you're most excited for, because this needs to be underpinning lots of other things. Um, and I have to ask you, right, because on a previous episode, we talked about device payments and things. I I mentioned a kind of crazy futuristic theory about what, what kind of world we could live in. And I want to hear it from you based on what you're doing. Is this crazy? So I was thinking about a world where you have drones flying around and instead of having kind of big stock orders coming into shops, you have just these drones buzzing around with stock all the time. And then you have the, the machines in the shops talking to drones, telling them, oh, I need a new pint of milk in my in my fridge cabinet or something. Is that a crazy world or is that the kind of thing that you think device to device, real time IoT data can make possible? Uh, I, I believe that, that that is precisely why uh, the digital asset broker was designed. Um, I believe AI uh, has now made that even more possible because uh, we, 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 I call them, um, uh, what did I call them? Uh, well, I, I think I call them economy of things algorithms, right? Uh, uh, but but uh, you know, I believe in the future, there'll be different algorithms for different use cases and different sectors. Um, and, the, and those algorithms will, will basically be um, the, the, the things that I use to, to send a drone to a specific uh, supplier or a specific buyer using real-time data, right? Uh, oh, yeah, I call them monetizable events. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so, so these algorithms will will basically detect monetizable events. So this this data has a value now because this person needs it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this location is important to this insurance company or this retailer or this uh, yeah the, this drone company. Uh, and uh, and and I believe that AI will be the glue or the middle where uh, where these uh, monetizable event algorithms can start to, to to link these devices together dynamically as you so 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 um, clearly uh, outlined, Jack. So I, I believe that that is the future. Um, but th- there's one thing we haven't discussed, which is regulation uh, and uh, insurance and, uh, and, and, uh, all of these compliancy things that, uh, GDPR, you know, which are, 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 you know, are in some ways barriers to these things happening. You know, I think the technology is there. I think the technology is there for a lot of things now. Um, I think some of the barriers are getting the regulatory environment and the legal environment and the finance environment and the, uh, uh, yeah, and and the insurance environment to to buy into, and I think that's starting to happen uh, because they can save money. There's business opportunities mm. there, and I think that's the last piece of the jigsaw we need to 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 you know make make some of this a reality. Yeah, and and as techies, we tend to ignore the regulation stuff, right? We find it a bit boring, but it's so <laughs> important. Like you look at autonomous vehicles. How long has the tech been there? How long has the data been there to prove that it's much safer? But there's a regulatory barrier. I think a lot of it is kind of fundamental human psychology of not wanting to trust the machine. And if you know one Tesla car crashes into a person, 
are all Tesla cars dangerous? There's an accountability thing there, but we could jump into the regulation, all that kind of stuff for quite a while. I just want to thank you for helping you yeah. know, justify Jack's dream of being delivered milk by a drone. <laughs> He's been pestering me for a while now, asking if I can design him a drone that delivers milk to his door. So thank you. Like that. It is weird, but thank you. Maybe he'll be a bit patient now and ask me to, uh, to, to create one of those. But yeah, David, this has been incredible. We're coming to the, the closing sections of, uh, of the show now. And we have some two standard questions that we like to ask our guests to kind of compare and contrast as we kind of progress through the, uh, through the podcast. So the first one is, in one sentence, what is Web3 to you? Trust and opportunity. That is the most concise answer we've ever had. And mm -hmm. I like that very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is, if you could choose anyone, dead or alive, to sit down and discuss Web3 with, who would it be and why? Uh, come on, Steve Jobs. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> Sure. You just want to listen, though. You just listen and let yeah, him talk. Right? Like, yeah, he's, like uh, he's the master. Yeah. I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I feel like if Steve Jobs was still with us, he would be winning the Web three, the Web three race right now. So, and I yeah, can't believe we yeah. haven't had that one yet. That's crazy. Yeah, he's uh, Steve. Steve Jobs always saw a, he, he could imagine a future that others couldn't see, and I think um, with the input and the ingredients that we've got now. Yeah, I'd be really excited to see what future he would imagine. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Well, with that thought, I think that's a really good place to end. David, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And thank you for validating my dreams, as Alex said. So, yeah, thank you for joining us, David. And thank you to those listening, wherever you may be. Join us next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. My, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.